Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the worst idea of all time, Patreon Pals Christmas Nightmare Edition in this mid-January. Almost headed into late January. That's right. Hi, guys. Christmas lives on, thanks to the boys and their insistence, I guess, on taking a break and your insistence on us uh, providing you Christmas content. But if I've learned anything from the not one but two films we've just watched, Tim, it's that Christmas is forever. Christmas is omnipresent, omniscient, uh Christmas is in our waking moments and in our nightmares also. It is all around us, it is inside of us, and it is inescapable. Um, So just a little background on what's happened here is that, uh, as you may or may not know, this is how the Patreon works. If you contribute $5 a month or more to us, uh, then you get access to these beautiful episodes. If you contribute $10 or more a month to us, you are part of the elusive Deciders Club who uh, come together like a, uh, what is it called, who decides the Pope? The uh, Conclave. I'm not sure. But from what, I, from what I can tell, the people in this Deciders Club are a bunch of cashed up freaks who uh, appear to know only the most obscure touchstones of pop culture. They're good people, guy. They They're haunt the best people. They haunt our people. the fringes of the internet, digging up these unearthed, you don't want to call them treasures, but certainly they have they glint and glow like precious metals, and then you look at them really closely, and you're like, I don't even know what to make of this. Uh, I can't but, believe you've brought this attitude to this special, man. I am full of Christmas joy. I fucking loved this. So we did a poll, as we always do, and it was a, a dead tie. Do you call that a dead heat? Dead heat, yeah. I don't yep. know. At the end, between, um, uh, what's his name? Kurt Cameron Saves Christmas and Rhapsody Street Kids Believe in Santa. Uh, two very disparate projects, very couldn't, couldn't be further apart in some ways, but both on the theme of Christmas. And so I looked at the durations of both and I thought, hey, guy, you know what? We're putting these out late. This really is a December feast that we're eating in January. Why don't we do both and we'll just ram them together? So we've just watched both of us back to back. Kurt Cameron, renowned um, Christian superstar, 
presenting his own Christmas special, which is an hour long, featuring um, his sister. And I later found out the director is the sort of protect or antagonist of, of that, the whole. That project. wasn't actually his sister. That was a an actor. No, that was his actual. That was his actual sister, I think. And in, in the credits, there's so many Camerons. I just figured one of them had to be her. No, the 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 woman who played the sister, I was of the impression was uh, Bridget Cameron. Yeah, oh. Cameron. Kirk. Oh no, Cameron. I see. She was listed on the credits that, that I originally saw. I just googled her then as uh, someone else as Bridget. Ran oh, I've got so many different things in front of you. Bridget Ridmore, but that's her, <laughs> yeah, that's her husband's You've fallen name. into an internet cave of just like, you've got the, the thread, the red thread is out on the wall connecting all the dots and you've lost where you are inside the web. Well, absolutely. I Because just, just then, it, it, for a glimpse into the future of the Rhapsody Street Kids uh, Believe in Santa, I accidentally clicked onto their IMD page, IMDB page, which I've got opened down at the cast list. Uh, and so I was trying to find the name Bridget uh, Cameron or Bridget Redenor, and instead I came You're across... You're all over the map. Nancy You're Cartwright. Wild. You, man. Yes. Mark Hamill. Yeah. So I suppose I mean, we should... come on. We should try and Let's... present this information as logically as possible. So we've watched Saving Christmas, the Kirk Cameron film, and the Rap City Street Kids Believe in Santa. What order did you watch these films in, Tim? Same as you. I did Kurt Cameron first and then ended on The Nightmare that is Rhapsody and, Street Kids. Uh, why did you choose that order? I saw pictures, uh, maybe even a trailer of what Rhapsody Street Kids was, and I was like, this is a dessert. This is not a main course. And I was correct. I, it's interesting. That sort of speaks a lot to how you eat dinner because I did the same thing, but in my mind's eye, I was like, but... Surely the shorter film is like the entree, as they do in the cinema, where they'll they'll play. Think of a Pixar film; they'll play your little mm. short teaser, and then they'll. Although those are often thematically connected, which I could say these these two are. But, yeah, they're both uh, Christmas movies. You going? Of course they are. Were you craving a palate cleanse at the at the finish of Saving Christmas, or were you craving more Christmas content? I actually, I think Rhapsody Street Kids is the perfect uh, full stop on watching Kurt Cameron Saves Christmas. But should we start with Kurt Cameron's project and really unwrap the presents under under the tree that is that film uh, before we get into the, into the ple- kind of project as a whole? With so, pleasure. Kurt Cameron Saves Christmas. You motherfuckers on Patreon, I love you crazy assholes. I love this shit. I love this shit. This is my fucking jam. So, Kurt Cameron, is, uh, he's famous for being Christian and making TV and movies and stuff. And I say, fucking God bless. Because there's not enough people, you know, really putting a flag in the ground going, this is who I am. Especially in these uh, secular, godless times. Uh, the movie is a stinker. I think that probably goes without saying. If people made us watch it, I think it's a given that it's no good. Almost the entire movie, if you think about it, takes place inside of a car <laughs> that is parked on a driveway. Yeah, uh, which is, you know, which would be the, the, the almost one setting were it not for the incredible uh, descriptive powers of Kirk Cameron as he tries to persuade his deeply religious brother-in-law that Christmas 
as it's currently celebrated in modern times, is in fact not a sacrilegious sort of pagan festival, but all of the uh, more modern and commercial roots or, you know, trimmings that we see now are actually have roots embedded deep within not just Christianity, but specific Bible verses. Um, when this thing opened up, Tim, mm. I was excited because I didn't think it was going to be a film that was set exclusively in a car. I thought it was going to be a one hour and 20 minute stream of consciousness with two camera angles where Kirk Cameron just sits in front of a bristling fire with a cup of hot chocolate and yeah. sort of waxes poetic on the people who are trying to take Christmas away. And while I wasn't <laughs> upset... monologue is so special. With everything that happened afterwards, I would have liked to see Kirk Cameron just trying to hold court for an hour 20 because, you know, like you could feel like he was already touching the sides in terms of how much he could fill out with whatever was a five-minute monologue. Where he starts talking about people trying to take away Christmas. He's like, there's two types of people. People who want you to do it in the privacy of your own home and people who say, uh-uh, no way. What are they going to tell us next? Hot chocolate is bad for us? And I was no, like... That, that wasn't even the argument. That was very close to it, but not exactly the argument. This really stuck in my in my craw because he said... Um, what are they going to? St- what are they going to tell us next? We can't have hot chocolate because it was invented by pagans. I was like, no, it was invented by Aztecs, bro. Read a book. Come on. Well, I, this this is about reading one book, not all books. But the way he phrased it, also, he said, "What are they going to tell us next?" It wasn't even because it was like hot chocolate is bad for you, uh, and it was invented by whoever. And I was like, <laughs> someone needs to tell Kirk Cameron and his poor arteries that hot chocolate is bad for you like he's so obsessed with hot chocolate in this movie he's constantly sipping at his mug he's got a bunch of his nieces and nephews and kids at his sister's place and he's like after having a real heavy conversation with his sister about how her husband's unhappy he's just like well that stinks hot chocolate for everyone he calls (laughs) it 25 children and the hot chocolate, the serving cups he has for this are those thin plastic ones you find next to water coolers that are not built for containing the temperatures <laughs> that a hot chocolate is served at. It is served hot. No, this no. is scalding hot on these kids' hands. He's filling it up straight out of a massive thermos and then putting gallons of whipped cream on top of it. It is incredible. Eventually, he just starts pouring the whipped cream directly <laughs> into their mouths. It is absolute pandemonium. The um the opening monologue is so good from Kirk Cameron. He's uh yeah, so there's a roaring fire, he's in a chair, and it's like this weird which is the th- a tone that persists throughout the film. Is it improv? Is the question I have. Because it's, it's like there's beats that he's hitting, but the pauses are too long and there's just enough kind of weird variance and repetition that you're like What's happening I, here, Kirk? I think did, you, did anyone tell you you were shooting a feature film today? It feels I like think, you just turned up. Yeah, he. I feel like he probably had an outline, and then you know, like the way the movie was funded and cast, it was like, yeah, we'll we'll write some lines for Kirk, but he'll sort of he'll Kirk it up, he'll spice it up, you know. And so he sort of just had license to have fun around the fringes, um, and boy, did he! So the the opening monologue <laughs> does throw you off because you think tonally. I thought I was just going to yeah. watch. I didn't know anything about Kirk Cameron. I didn't know anything about this movie. I thought I was going to watch like a sort of a Tim Allen Santa Claus type. Like I thought 
there was going to be one central family involved, some sort of family hijinks or breakdown, and Kirk Cameron's character was going to save Christmas. I didn't realize it was like a propaganda film for his specific <laughs> version of Christmas. And yeah. I knew that I was the in War for something. Christmas. Yeah. I knew this that I was, should have been called. And for something special when at the end of his opening monologue, after he had another sip of his hot chocolate, uh, a scar cover of Silent Night started playing over some animated opening credits. And I was like, yes, it is about time Silent Night had that. And I'm not talking about your, you know, pre-reggae scar. I'm talking about your late 90s, early 2000s, almighty, almighty boss tones, religious flavored scar. It was otherworldly and i was just like i sat up bolt upright in my chair and i was like okay <laughs> we're doing this i'm here casey let's rip in so then the um the film is sort of this presentation of uh the main guy well kirk cameron's the main guy i guess but there's so we're at someone's house and that person is kirk cameron's sister maybe in real life maybe not guy and i will never agree on this we're just a I'm, bickering pair that way. No, no, I'd, I'd love to do the research right now. I'm, I think it, I think you're onto something. You do it. Uh, and so they're celebrating Christmas. It's Christmas Day. There's kids there. There's some, some co-workers, weirdly, and neighbours and all sorts of things filling out the pack. And the issue here in this film is that Kirk Cameron's sister is hosting Christmas and she loves it, but her husband, who is, as Guy mentioned, a devout Christian, he can't get over the sort of bastardization of the original messaging of Christmas that happens every year uh, from here on in. The commercialization, the materialistic nature of gift giving, the, uh, the, the sort of pagan symbols um, that permeate the festival these days. He's not into it. He's not into it at all. So he, he takes himself off to his, um, he just looks like a sad sack. For a lot of it, and then he takes himself off to a car parked in the driveway, and Kirk Cameron comes in and discusses parables, and they just bat around this ball of Christmas is bad, and then Kirk Cameron goes, "No, it isn't," and here's yeah. why. It's it's very neatly laid out. It's unambitious storytelling. The guy who plays the brother-in-law, who also, as it turns out, was the director of this film, and is an incredibly uh, busy Christian music video director. He has like he has that sort of glint of familiarity when you first see him on screen that a lot of like not quite funny white bespectacled and slightly bearded comedy actors do from uh probably before this film was made I think it was made in 2014 but you know he looks like a guy whose face you've seen and forgotten in a comedy yeah. film or TV show and yeah. to me I think his performance isn't bad to be completely honest Really I well for what it was like he because I immediately had him in my mind as that guy and I was like let's see what you got and I know the movie's meant to be a comedy and it didn't yield a lot of laughs where it designed where it sort of had, had the laughs written in but I believed him in the character he was portraying yeah fair enough he was and annoying I'll give him that he was annoying but his character was annoying also they, did you see they have a blooper reel at the end of this film I did. I watched the whole thing. He has a lot. Of directing and acting looks tough, you know. <laughs> he had a lot yeah, of his big plate. time. It's true. Um, it's ambitious. But so yeah, they do. They they retire to the car, but uh, not after introducing a few ancillary characters in the name of, I guess, Laughs? diversity and love and broader uh, commercial appeal. Namely, DeAndre, who, if I like the performance of our director who played Christian. Uh, DeAndre, this guy's a star. He is. He just comes in, and they're like, "Okay, everyone, we managed to get 
a black Christian comedy actor, could you please fulfill every single trope that you have yeah. in your head for what we want yeah. you to do? And DeAndre absolutely rose to the bar. He was he a tour de force. He comes in. His first riff is all about how the company they work for is taking away Crazy Shirt Fridays. Yeah, and um, yeah. he won't have it. He's going to rise <laughs> up and bring his people with him. Yeah, and so, yeah, after that, anyway, Christian, still caught in this funk, retires to the car. Kirk Cameron goes out to start supporting him, and that's mostly where we are in the car. There is one brief scene in the middle where they go back into the house, and DeAndre, the star, is joined by... Uh, I don't know who, but if you can say a movie that never really had its wheels on in the first place did have the wheels come off, it was this scene for me where, apropos of nothing, this other character who DeAndre's talking to, and they're doing it sort of privately behind coffee cups, like NFL coaches lift their play sheets above their mouths so that cameras can't pick up on what they're saying. The he's sort of- worried. He's a, he's credited in the end credits as conspiracy theorist. His name's someone Henley because I looked him up to see if he had any music out there because he does a freestyle rap in, in the bloopers. I was like, my fucking guy. Uh, but they, he, so he's playing this sort of tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, and he puts a. They both have to put mugs in front of their mouths so no one can hear what they're saying because they're, they're discussing the sort of the attack on Christmas, the war on Christmas, or at least that's where the convo starts. Yeah. It is uh, unreal. He just lists like all your your bloody uncle's favorite conspiracy theories. He talks about Kim Tri- like n- without exploring any of them. He just sort of it's like and like like he says Kim Trails. I can't even remember what else he says. But harp, I, yeah, there's some nine eleven stuff in there. Like it's legit. I and you can't tell if he's like I don't know what purpose it serves in the broader you know goals of the movie. I don't know. Who chose to put it in and how it stayed in? Because it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't bolster the argument that Christianity is fine as it is. It doesn't take away from it. It's just like, oh, it's everyone's welcome at this Christmas party, including that guy. I guess that's what it is. I guess you've you've exactly hit on it because we all know one of that guy. Some some of us are that guy. Yeah. Do you think of yourself as that guy, Tim? You can't see this on the podcast, but I just pointed at my face. Yeah. I think... Um, in those, certain circles. Those people are invariably very fun and interesting to talk to when you first meet them. Uh, and then often there's quite a steep descent in terms of conversational yes. value because it's like, oh, your brain doesn't exist in conversation beyond you just espousing whatever conspiracy theories you're into. If, and like Real if you're, returns. yeah, if you're if you're interested in one or more of the same things that they are, it's very interesting because they're usually incredibly well researched and they know a lot about it. But if it's less than one or one or less, it's like you're just listening to someone talk about something you're not interested in, which is, I guess, what a disproportionate amount of conversation is, isn't it, in the world today? I guess you're right. It's people who don't. They're kind of. Um, leapfrogging from one little thing to another as well is the annoying thing with conspiracy theorists. It's very hard to peg down on one particular topic and really shake them down for a, a sort of core thesis on how they've arrived there. Yeah. It's Just a lot of weird soup. I remember when I was younger and my dad explained to me that um, 
politicians uh i was like this is so i was like why are you watching the news dad this is so boring some politician was talking i can't remember how old i was and he's like they're being deliberately boring guy so that people like you don't want to listen and uh that's always stuck with me do you think that's true uh no i no i i don't i don't think so i don't think so what do you think i want it to be true I love it. I love it as a concept. It's highly conspiratorial thinking to me <laughs> that the people. I don't. I think politicians have far less power than. As I've gotten older, I think they've got far less power than we think they do. But maybe that's what that's what they want us to think. That's so right. maybe Stephen's right. He usually he, is. Yeah, so I tell he you, knows a lot of things. When I was uh, home recently for the holidays, I walked in on him in a conversation with uh, my younger sister Annie. And uh, she was saying, oh, Dad and I are just resolving an argument. And Stephen said, we're not resolving an argument. I'm explaining <laughs> why I'm right. <laughs> that is brilliant. Yeah. There's a lot of things in um, this movie in terms of Kirk Cameron's defensive Christmas that don't quite stack up for me. Uh, one that I wrote down in my little notebook here is... Um, so... <laughs> He gets real set on this, but Christian, who's the the um, the guy, the sort of the Christmas hater, who's the director, he gets real hung up on the fact that Jesus wasn't born on December twenty fifth. Um, and Kirk Cameron at one point asks him like, "Why do you think that?" And he has no answer for it. I'm pretty sure the answer is they determined what the star was that the three wise men were supposedly following, and it appears in the sky from memory in like mid June. So they reckon they had Jesus' birthday nailed to like within a week of that, if if that sort of parable is correct. But anyway, Kirk Cameron's explanation for why um, Christmas is celebrated on the 25th of December is because it's in like the dead of winter and everything is dark and the earth is dying. And then it is like celebrating rebirth in the in the darkest part of the year. And I was sitting there in New Zealand watching this film, remembering a barbecue I had outside in my swimmers on December 25th, and all the other Christmases I'd celebrated outdoors with cold cuts and beers, and I thought to myself, what godless nation have I found myself in? Do not tell Kirk Cameron about the Southern Hemisphere, it will blow his tiny mind out (laughs) of the water. He He won't know what to do with us, he really won't. Do you reckon he's a flat earther? Uh, no, but he could be dismissive of huge... Ch- like, New Zealand, I think, is recognised as a secular nation. We have God defend New Zealand as our national anthem, but, like, there is no uh, national religion in New Zealand. Uh, so I think it's probably quite easy for him to look down at us and say, well, that's probably why you've got a summer Christmas, you heathens, because... You know, like, God's not going to put on the full display for a bunch of non-believers. Well, fucking sign me up to Satanism then, because isn't it so much better that we get our holidays and coming together coinciding with a bit of sun? Oh, get I a bit of a tan? I couldn't agree more. It's an entirely different holiday, and it's a better holiday experience for it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just, going back to that, like, there are so many things that they talk about in that car, in the front seat of the car. And also, like... The way Kirk Cameron explains away, so there, there's sort of three parables that he uses, right, to calm down Christian, um, which are, I remember that this is the one of Chris, 
Christmas is the one of the Christmas trees. Yeah. He's that like, one is the loosest thread, I think. There's the one about uh, Santa Claus, where he rearranges yes. the letters of Santa to reveal that it also spells Satan. Just like mm. they're they're wheeling out. This is the best turn of phrase I've heard for it. Uh, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to use it and give credit to its creator, which is um, Sydney-based comedian John Crookshank. I'll just look him up on Twitter because if you like this turn of phrase, you should check him a follow. But when he's talking about uh, conspiracy theories he's sort of building up to the idea that he's a big one he's like i'm not talking about uh 9-11 conspiracy theories that's you know that's westfield food court stuff <laughs> and uh that's like a mall food court for those of you who don't know as though to say that you know <laughs> the people who talk about that are not standing on the same hallowed ground and that's sort of what i thought about it where i was like rearranging santa to be satan is so basic it's it doesn't even warrant you know the 30 minute explanation of why santa's okay which doesn't mention the coca-cola company once by the way i know yeah look if you're going to get into conspiracy theories you got to bring coke into it but kurt cameron's too afraid of big soda to tackle the real beasts of christmas it's good john crookshank by the way is at john crookshank j-o-h-n-c-r-u-c-k-s-h-a-n-k he is a sensational man People have paid for this episode. You can't go promoting other comedians' Twitter accounts on here. I used his turn of phrase. I had to give him a credit. Fair call. God bless you. Um, that Christmas one, uh, sorry, the uh, St. Nicholas one, though, is fucking good. That's my favorite parable where they he, he talks about the origins of um, Santa Claus. I don't think he's right with his story, by the way. I didn't have time to kind of... Google research, I'd it, say, but it you, doesn't sound right to, to me. You don't need to research. Almost definitely not right. But, you know, it's incredible parable, how... It's a, it, it, hold on, let's tell the people very briefly. St. Nicholas is based on a guy who I think they said he was in Germany and he was a bishop, and I think they were saying it was around the 16th century, sort of 1500s, and uh, he was uh, present at an event. I actually wanted to look this event up because it sounded interesting, but there was a bit of a crossroads theologically, and they were trying to decide whether or not Jesus was actually a, um, what do you call it, like a like a, a, a real being of was God. The, fir- the first council of Nicaea, Nicaea or something. Nicaea, so, Nicaea something like yeah. that. And uh, and so there was this guy who was sort of prophetizing and he was saying, no, look, um, Jesus was just a man. He was a prophet, but he was just a man here on earth. And this guy who was going around telling this was very popular and he was real silver-tongued and people listened to what he had to say. And St. Nicholas, who was a very devout man, um, beat him up. <laughs> and everyone fucking loved it. Yeah. They were like, this guy fucking rules. And he gave lots of presents to kids too, which is another reason they loved him. And so St. Nicholas is based on that badass. Yeah, because Kurt Cameron kept world. saying that Santa Claus is bad in a good way. He uh, said bad in like the Michael Jackson way. He didn't say Michael Jackson, but he said he's bad. Bad like good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, read into that what you will. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective, professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic, I don't know if you remember, and the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. Uh, but that argument that there was just some rogue sort of devout vigilante who went around kicking anyone's ass who spoke different seem to be enough to get Christian on board. Uh, and every time that one of these arguments we put forward by Kurt Cameron, there was the third and final one. So that one sort of they decided to go back inside and, and throw a dance party for what felt to me like five hours. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> but so every time before that, because the ones before that was the story of Christmas trees where uh, Kurt Cameron's like, well, the funny thing about Christmas trees is that's all because uh, Adam was in the Garden of Eden and he ate an apple and... Because he couldn't put, he stole it, and you need to return the thing you steal. And because he couldn't put the apple back, he would have had to be himself on the tree. And I was like, he could shit on that Hold tree. On. I've also got a, um, a, I'm going to give Kurt Cameron the benefit of the doubt here, obviously. Theologian, I am none. But wasn't it Eve who ate the apple? Isn't that what original sin is? Uh, Adam created her with his rib. But then Eve was the one who actually took the apple, and that's nah. why Catholics hate women. Nah, Catholics decided to hate women independent of the book of Genesis, I think. Uh, mm. I feel like the sna- there was a snake who was like, looks like a pretty good apple, and Adam's hey, like... Hey, this apple over here, yeah. come and get it. Adam's like, you sure it's not flowery? And the snake's like, come on, this is the Garden of Eden. What, you think you're going to pick a flowery apple in the Garden of Eden? And I was like, okay, I just hate flowery apples. Um, and then God caught him with this, his mouth full and he was like, I'm not eating anything. <laughs> but so every time you tell one of these stories, uh, Christian, the sort of, you know, the cynical, deeply religious brother-in-law would be like, wow, amazing. Okay. 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 But what are you going to tell me next? Are you going <laughs> to tell me that Santa Claus is in the Bible? 
And like the the oscillations he would have between being persuaded and enthused about Christmas and then back to being a misery guts about it were yeah. I mean, again, I just think it's really efficient storytelling. And to the movie's credit, an hour yeah. twenty, oh not enough movies clocking in under one and a half hours these days. This is just because you're used to the movies people make us watch. I'm not. It was a delicious duration. I'm not just used to them. Like, movies in general are so long. They're so long now. <laughs> um, we gotta, we got to wrap this up so we can start talking about Rhapsody Street Kids, I think. But, look, the um, <clears throat> Kurt Cameron is undeniably magnetic on screen. He is... Truly charismatic, and he really does draw you in with his with his charms. Um, devilishly handsome, if I can use a pun. I don't believe anything he has to say, even the stuff that I think he probably should know about. I'm like, I think you've, I think you've got this slightly wrong. I'm going to disagree with you wholeheartedly on the director Christian um, having good acting skills. I invite people to just see if you can watch a little bit of it. If you can, it's quite hard to come by, though. Man, yeah. I had a, I had a hard old time trying to source this movie. Um, Real difficult. Worth it for DeAndre's performance, and yeah. So at the end, he's persuaded to go back inside. He believes in Christmas again, and he apologizes to his wife for being a jerk. And she sort of accepts the apology, and then he goes, "And you're not going to believe what I've done." But somehow, in the 15 seconds between being in the car and apologizing to his wife, he's organized a semi-spontaneous, semi-choreographed hip-hop dance jam uh, mm. featuring all of the members of the Christmas party. And it starts, and you're like, "This is fun. I could sit in this for a little while." And then it keeps going, and you're like, "Oh, they're going for longer than I thought they'd go." And then it keeps going. And you realize that on set, he is the director who obviously really wanted to show whatever breakdancing he could remember from when he was 12. It's like, has yeah. anyone else got any dance or breakdance moves? And yeah. because he'd set such a low standard, everyone on set was like, absolutely. And he's like, we'll roll on all of it. And I don't know if he got strong. We'll put arms. all of it in. We'll put all of it in. Yeah. So uh, just incredible. It is, and it's led front and center by a middle-aged white woman who is definitely who you want leading a breakdancing troupe at all times, every time. Uh, Two quick things before we move on. Number one, Guy, I want to know if you're with me on this. There's a moment when he he comes back in, so he's just had this kind of revelation moment, Christian. He's like, no, Christmas is awesome. Kirk Cameron's convinced me. And he comes in to see his wife in the kitchen, and she's just kind of like looking at him. And there's a weird like ping pong shot of you see him, then you see her, then you see him, then you see her. And she looks weird and she's like, you're okay. And he says, um, he's like, I've got something for you. And she says, what have you got in mind, big papa? And it does a freeze frame. And I said out loud by myself, are they going to fuck? Oh, very (laughs) similar. Yeah, yeah. we're on. We're on maybe the same page, if not paragraph. Yeah, and then Kirk Cameron, as your brain is projecting intercourse or anal, is like, now I don't know what you think happens in these situations. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh my God, Kirk Cameron, we're doing it. And Fuck then, yeah. Uh, and then, then the dance party happens. Then the dance party. The other thing I wanted to tell you, Guy, is that Kirk Cameron's sister is Full House's DJ Tanner. I know you didn't watch a ton of TV growing up as a kid, but... Very influential um, show for me, and uh, that can't real... be right. It is right. Why do you doubt everything I say? Well, DJ, Ten- 
No, it might not have been DJ Tanner. Uh, You're thinking of Stephanie? Yeah, she who went, went off- and did porn later. Oh yeah, she went. Uh, she went off the rails. She was not DJ Tanner. She was a photographer in an episode. What? Kurt Cameron's sister. Yeah. No. Look up DJ Tanner. Tell me what her name is. Candace Cameron Bure. Boom, Cameron. It's right there, man. It's a different sister. What are you talking about? A different sister? It's still his sister. What do you mean a different sister? Oh, I thought you were saying the woman we just watched act was DJ Tanner. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I beg your pardon. Sorry, you're right. DJ Tanner is another other different sister to Kurt Cameron. What an incredible family and inspiration to us all. Absolutely. Now, Rhapsody Street Kids, believe in Santa. Let me tell you something. Last night, I watched the, um, or actually all but the last few minutes of the uh, the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix, and it engendered such a fear in me because they do such a good job of like building up. You could see the train wreck from the very start of of the piece, but and that's, it's just getting that's closer. That's not and closer. just the documentary. That's just watching it, securing the knowledge that. Yeah, you know it, what happened. It's like watching a documentary on the Hindenburg and being like, oh, I wonder what yeah. happened to that blimp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. But they do a good job of like punching it up throughout the thing. Anyway, when this, when the like first few frames of Rhapsody Street Kids Believe in Santa kicked off, I got that same fear of like dread and in the pit of my stomach that I, that I kind of felt when it got to like day zero of the Fire Festival and the documentary and they're all just going, this is completely fucked, but we need to let the people in now. Like, there's nothing left for it. We've run out of time. And I th- and I couldn't help but project back to when this came out, because this aired on uh, on the WB back in the day uh, for Christmas one time. Of just this production, the small production team, I assume, just going, we have to give them the tape now, I guess. I guess we have to export the project. Like, we've run out of time. Okay. Well, so how much do you know about this? Because I didn't get the chance to research it. But, the, I mean... Just a little. To see the cast list. Are we in the same sphere as Food Fight? Where it's like, you know, there's, a, there's a producer or producers who are borrowing against the promise of a product that mm. they just simply do not have the means to deliver. Because... I, uh, I desperately desperately want to know more about the production of this it is, film it is, but nancy you, cartwright did produce it when you put it next to fire festival like that because i actually i watched um i don't know why uh we're really dating the podcast here but i watched both of those docs and my main takeaway was i'm like what was the other dog hulu has a documentary as well oh true yeah called fire fraud in which they paid billy McAllister, whatever his name is, yeah. uh, they paid him like up to $250,000 to be an interview subject in the documentary. So he's in it, talking about it the whole Jesus time. Jesus Christ. Is it good? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that either of them are necessarily good. They've just got such incredible source material that you yeah, will consume. True. Like, I watched them almost back to back. I was consumed by it. But, yeah. uh, and it's the same thing with this movie where it's like, I'm always so afraid that everything's going to go wrong. You know, like I'm always yeah. like so yeah. fearful of putting anything out into the world. I'm so scared of it going wrong. And just to watch people who aren't just afraid, <laughs> but seem to be oblivious to the possibility that that could be an outcome. I honestly find it inspiring. 
I yeah. am like, I'm like, I oh, hear you. why do I let my own neuroses like and limitations get in the way of just saying, this is what I'm doing? Like, because that is, and you know, some people do deliver it and some people don't. And very rarely do you see people not delivering on such a huge scale. But uh, that seems to be what, there's definitely one with the Fire Festival, but that does seem to happen with the Rhapsody Street Kids Believe in Santa, although it has aged brilliantly into this weird of a moment of a time like nonsensical almost ahead of its time if you think about uh comic sensibilities and internet culture now like this is a 2002 film or tv film that is made to be watched in 2019 it's the sort of thing that tim and eric or a lot of people who sort of work at adult swim would pay good money to produce a look this horrifying these days because i imagine actually quite hard to achieve with with modern technology it's like (laughs) it's true i don't quite know how to describe it it's real nightmare fuel it's very it's very it's just like horrific and it's worse than food fight which is really saying something yeah and when you're watching it it does give you an you know it does it is funny because it's like, how can they go through with animating this all the way? Like, how can they not just scrap the project? How can they decide to animate the way the characters move like this the whole way through the movie? And it gives you a real appreciation yeah. for good animation because you're like, this is awful. This is making I, me physically it, ill to watch these characters yeah. walk because there's so many shots of people walking reasonable distances. And I'm like, just cut it. Just trust us to know that the character traveled to get to where they're going. Yeah, man. Yeah, that is weird. It's <laughs> what it's about is a kid. What's his name again? Ricky. Ricky Rogers. And um, I only found this out by reading a blurb later, but we find out in the movie that his mum died at some point. But it turns out his mum died really recently. And this film is supposed to be happening like in the sort of intervening moments or like months after he's lost his mum. So he's being raised by his great-grandmother and he goes to um, Rhapsody uh, Street School, Rhapsody Elementary, I think it is. And so it just follows this gang of kids. And there's like a bully and there's a nerdy girl and there's like the kind of, I guess the popular one. Nicole is sort of this unattainable airhead, um, more obsessed. Well, she's, she's not an airhead. She's just vapid. She's like, gets, she's a straight A student, but she has no, you know, she's one of these kids these days who they know the, uh, the cost of everything and the value of nothing, you know. I feel like you're channeling your dad right now. It's like he's in the room with me. Steven, that's how he talks. <laughs> I used to pick up the phone. He he would always he worked from home for a while, and so he'd have all these people calling up to do business with him. And I yeah. learned how to imitate because every time he answers the phone, he just goes Stephen. And so when the phone used to ring, I'd always pick it up and go Stephen. And then one of his mates would start talking what was in essence Greek to me. I didn't understand to this day. I don't really know what he was doing. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Then after like a minute of them, I'm like, oh, look, I'm really sorry, Michael. It's actually Guy. I'll go get Dad for you. And uh, not a popular prank. You were trying to have your fun, but it backfired dramatically. Was what was a fun. prank just turned into a goof on you. Um, I know, yeah, oh, I've written a few notes for this, but we'll get to them later. Um, I guess the the st- in terms of the plot, what there is of it, and it is a, a little bit um, all over the place, but it's about the spirit of Christmas 
It's about a teddy bear that his mum gave him before he died that he wants to give to Nicole because he's got a crush on her and then she like immediately throws it away because she thinks it's terrible because it's cheap. And um, that's mainly what it's about. And yeah. And Nicole discovering the true spirit of Christmas later. Yeah, again, not ambitious storytelling, but also not clearly done like Saving Christmas. Uh, maybe ambitious in terms of the scope of what they were creating. Like, I feel like if they'd put all of those resources into a five-minute animated Christmas short, we might have wound up with something that was remotely fluid. Um, I have just dug up the trivia section on IMDb for this, and my favorite thing that immediately jumps out was, you will, of course, remember the conversations that our lead has with their grandmother when they're talking about Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So... Give us an impression, guy, because you just saw the film. Like, what? Did, so the grandma, what does she sound like? The great grandma, what does she sound like? Uh, well, it's hard to do, but so I'll give you one. Okay, I'll get. So this is an example of a like. This is an actual line that's in there. Ricky be uh, Ricky says to her at one point. Um, he says, "Oh, great grandma, you always know what to say." And she says, "Christmas." So. That is a very good impression. It says here, one of the producer's daughters said in an interview that the weird jumbled talking from the grandmother was the result of a corrupted audio file of the grandma's voice actress and no one caught the error in time. How is that possible? I don't know, but 10 out of 10 people found it interesting. That is very interesting, and I actually have to confess, I was on the hunt before I got on the phone with you to try and find those tweets, because <laughs> I really, I want to I wanna track the production of this film so bad. So this film was um, a lost film for over a decade. It aired in 2002, so, um, you know, we're still in the George W. Bush years, the world is a darker place, and then this suddenly gets birthed into our child, children's consciousness. And it airs once on Christmas Day, and then everyone's like, oh, whoopsie, put it back in the vault. And it's gone. It's gone. For 13, yeah, 13 years it's gone. And there's there's this guy who who runs, uh, I think the website is called like Wikimedia, and they try and collect um, all of these sorts of rarities and oddities and lost media from around the internet. And he found the guy who made it, um, Colin Slater, who's the director, and I think he was a co-producer as well, and writer, and was like, give me this movie, it's amazing, we need to preserve it. And he was like, um, give me 120 bucks and I'll get you a copy of it. And he was like, okay, here's 120 bucks. And he was like, no, give me $240. And he was like, <laughs> I fucking, I guess, okay. So he gave it to him and then he never received it. And they got in a fight for years and years and years about this. Like he started, the guy on the internet started like posting on all his websites and shit, following around being like, my bro, I've given you $240. You owe me this movie. Give it to me. And eventually he fucking did. He fucking sent him um, the movie. And uh, after initially arguing that he didn't have the rights for it or anything, he was just like, fucking whatever, here you go. So after about two years of arguments in 2015, this guy got it and it got... um, uploaded to the net on Vimeo, I think, originally. And everyone was just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. We've got a new crown champion who has entered the ring. This thing's crazy. Absolutely. Tim, how would you feel if I told you that uh, Colin Slater, as you correctly remembered, was the director of this project and producer? How would you feel if I told you that two years 
after Rhapsody Street Kids Believe in Santa, he helmed yet another 45-minute animated film called Wolf Trace's Dinosaur Island that somehow once again had the voice acting talent of Mark Hamill. What? Hey, I've got a question for you. Is Mark Hamill a Scientologist? Because I know Nancy Cartwright is. Is Nancy Cartwright a Scientologist? She is a prominent uh, Scientologist. The Scientology people have my address, Guy. I don't know how they got it, but they have it. And they send me their <laughs> magazine. And on the front cover of it about a month ago was Nancy Cartwright. Is that how you knew or did you already know? I think I had heard it ages ago, but I forgot about it. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, a cursory... For those who don't know, Nancy Cartwright is the voice talent of Bart and Lisa Simpson and Ralph uh, and other characters. A, a cursory Google find of the word Scientology on Mark Hamill's Wikipedia page does not bring up anything. Cool, so, cool, cool. Okay, that's good. So, I mean... <laughs> So much to love in this movie. I wrote down a couple of things. There's a poster in Roger... Uh, oh, wait, fuck. Not, what's his name again? Ricky. Ricky Rogers' bedroom. New York? That just, yeah, it says New York on it because it's just this completely indecipherable, undistinguished skyline. It's just some blocks. It's some blocks a- on another color. And it says NY. It's like, okay. I took a photo of that. I, I was also striving to get a photo of... Uh, there was like protect the wo- protect the world or the p- protect the planet. There's a really good poster in the teachers' classroom. Um, I missed wh- that. Which like no, it wasn't like stinky like the way the New York one was. Like it was just c- a cool image. Where I was like, that's a cool image. I love cool images. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There were but you could tell that they had taken JPEGs, like low quality JPEGs, and just kind of chucked them in on the background of a lot of stuff. Like, in Nicole's bedroom, there's this tessellated apple pattern that makes up the wallpaper. And it's not symmetrical, which really fucked with me. <laughs> but they've clearly just found an apple online and, like, biffed it in. It's really fucking wild, man. Yeah. This movie did my head in. I, it did, too. Uh, I did not engage in any mind-altering substances uh, while watching this. But to anyone thinking about dabbling with Rhapsody Street Kids, uh, I think it would probably be best enjoyed... Uh, if you were so inclined, uh, mm. in a slightly elevated mental state. Yeah. If for I'm, no other reason than to enjoy the uh, brief tryst between Mrs. Palm or Ms. Palmington, which, by the way, is that a fucking name? You know how sometimes you see a name and you're like, is that a name? Names are hard Ms. to make Palmington? up. To make up a name for a teacher right now. Ms. Worthingwoodton. That's not a name. Yeah, you see? Neither's Miss Palmington. It, it, it just it doesn't feel like a name to me. She gets hit on by the principal, and it really cracked me up. He appears out of nowhere. It's one minute to three. For some reason, they show you the clock. It's the last day of school before Christmas break, and it's one minute to three. The principal just pops in and starts hitting on the teacher. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm going to have a great time with my family, surrounded by my loved ones who love me at Christmas. And he's like, okay, I'll see you all later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I think also we have not yet mentioned um, that this movie is, or this short is uh, a musical. It's a movie. Uh, it is, in a way, a musical. <laughs> and that there are songs sung in it. Yeah. Uh, 
they're not good songs, but they are no. undeniably songs. And so now, I have to tell you this: there is a rumor that Whitney Houston was this close to writing one of the songs, but didn't. And apparently, or some people have strung this together, that they reckon the offer given to Whitney Houston combined with all the things that um, uh, Colin Slater said and this amazing voice talent that features in here. And it's not just Nancy Cartwright and, and Mark Hamill, folks. It's also these, like, Broadway actresses who are, who are here who are, like, from Disney movies and stuff. It's fucking crazy. And then the thing looks like it's been made in paint. But the theory is, Colin Slater was talking about this movie like it was going to be the next Charlie Brown's Christmas, and it would just be perennially rolled out at Christmas time, so they would get fucking bank on the residuals. So every time December rolled around, it was just like, boom, money in the bank. And that's how people reckon they got these people on board. But then they forgot to hire animators (laughs) for the animated film. Yeah. It is uh, almost an out-of-body experience. It is disgusting to watch uh (laughs) (laughs) really gross stuff uh i mean i'll give you a line i'll give you a line i wrote down yeah ricky ricky who gave you that candle other character that is a really mean thing to say (laughs) yeah i i'd stop i'd sort of uh blown my load on noting saving christmas so i just sort of enjoyed this as a passive consumer and uh the things that stick with me are everything is inexplicable from start to finish. But the fact that they got it done, I respect that. Uh, and the fact that it's online after like being pulled from the public sphere for so long, shout out to whoever found it, paid 250 bucks to poppy back online. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking to spend 42 minutes doing something you wouldn't think to do ordinarily... Highly recommended. Just watch the spelling, though. It's it's whatever you oh, think yeah. it is, it isn't. Yeah, it's spelled completely different to how you assume. Um, I don't have any any other notes on this on this film, Tim. Do you? No notes are needed. Uh, just you know, we've said it all. Go watch it. It's horrifying. I fucking loved it. Can I say that? I loved. I would have liked Rhapsody I Street Kids. I would have liked Blinton to watch Center. it with you. I really loved it. I love it. I love Food Fight. It's currently vying for Food Fight status of like my favorite movie in this elk. It's uh, although Food Fight I think wins because it's even slightly more. Everything's a bit bigger and more bizarre. But this has got Nancy Cartwright and Mark Hamill for God's sake. For Christ's uh, sake, yeah, it's very good. A cast Alrighty, of Food Fights itself. Thank you so much for finding these movies for us, you guys. We really, um, you know. I often bemoan the choices that you Patreon pals deliver to us, but I mean, they're fine choices and you're fine people. Uh, So please keep them coming and thanks for bearing with us. We'll do another one of these very shortly to to make up for the tardiness over December sort of holiday break. And uh, we'll see you on the next horrifying version. Hey, Guy, looking forward to it, buddy? Absolutely. God bless us, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Don't let anyone tell you you can't wish someone... Merry Christmas, because you can, because Kirk Cameron told me. That's right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.